0: lord lord I, it, I wish i could be like a bird in the sky now uh my negative attitude is that if i was a bird in the sky then i'd be thinking am i too far away from the worms so that's why i love this song <laughs> and any other song like it because it's i need a constant like an iv 24 7 of positivity to uh um <clears throat> to dilute my negativity and um plenty of reasons to be negative for me in my personal life but the news, the fucking news I mean 24-7 on the radio on TV um, you know, in the newspaper it's just extraordinary I mean, you have to really put on some serious filters if you're capable of doing it some people are like, you know some people, millions of people are addicted to the news and um, you have to put real filters on to keep a lot of this crap out, I mean because there are things happening that are, are, are just as bad as they ever were, or and there's a lot of things happening that are worse. But the problem the difference is now that we know about it. We see in almost real time, um pictures, videos, vivid graphic pictures of all this all these monstrosities that are happening. And then but uh and then this president this president, I can't I still and I will never be able, maybe uh I will never get used to saying, or to even hearing, I should say. I'll never get used to saying it, but I'll never get used to hearing the two words, President Trump. To me, he is not President Trump. He's Trump. He's a vicious, lying, uh, animal-like, shrewd, uh, greedy, self-involved, vulgar son of a bitch who happens to be sitting in the White House. I don't know what he's doing there. I don't know how he got in there. Maybe the Secret Service could have scored him out. And the real president will come in because he's not the real president. (laughs) But then what? President Pence, who who might even be in his own way more dangerous because he's actually intelligent and kind of knows what he's doing. Uh, The big question um, that you come to a conclusion, you have discussions about Trump and all the crazy stuff he's doing and all how dangerous he is. The question about Trump really comes down very often to is his stupidity, is his ignorance and... Vast stupidity—a protection for all of us, or is it really a danger for all of us? It's really an interesting question. I mean, there are so many things that um, could ruin this man, and it's because he's stupid. And you keep hoping that it will happen. Like uh, when this this testimony yesterday—did you see this testimony, uh, James Comey? <coughs> Extraordinary. I mean, there's other things I want to talk about here today, but. Uh, to have, to have the former head of the FBI, who's only like uh, six weeks out of the job or a month out of the job, whatever, it is, no, two months out of the job, call the president of the United States a liar. you have never seen anything like that before. No? And, of course, most of us have never seen anything like the way Trump is behaving before. So the news, you know, and sometimes my filter is that I just read headlines and or the first couple of paragraphs uh, of the news in the paper. And then I just sort of turn off from it. If I want to check it later, it's always online the minute I go on there. It's on NPR the minute I flip that on. One of the things that's taken place right now, uh, I notice, is the Cosby trial. You know, you're aware of the fact that Bill Cosby's on trial now, accused of slipping a woman. <clears throat> and there are many more than one. Uh, but this is one trial with um, one woman who is the, um, the witness against him, slipping her drugs and having sex with her when she was helpless. Essentially, this is a kind of rape. It is rape. Uh, Cosby, right? Cosby, the big, lovable guy for all those decades. And I never watched the Cosby show. I never, where he was the uh, the lovable Dr. Huxtable, being a good dad and a good husband. I never watched it. Uh, because I was never much for sitcoms. Not big on sitcoms. You know, with all the airbrushed, happy ending stories and sometimes these ridiculous laugh tracks. I don't know if... Cosby's show was filmed live or had a laugh track. But I remember Cosby, because I'm an old guy, going back to the 60s. <clears throat> Cosby was in this great show um, called I Spy. I don't know if anybody from a, a newer generation knows anything about this show. I Spy, you know, where he co-starred with Robert Culp. And um, <clears throat> it was kind of a groundbreaking show to have co-equal white and black stars in a TV series. I'm almost positive that this was a really... Uh, sort of uh, entertainment first that Cosby was involved in. And I Spy was a terrific, terrific, well-written, intelligent action show. It was a great show. And of course, <clears throat> I remember Cosby, uh, his stand-up routines from back in the 60s. He was very funny. He was very human.
1: never forget the time I had a sore throat. Bad sore throat. And I said sore throat. <laughs> and my mother said let me feel your let me feel your forehead mothers are always feeling things you know <laughs> let me feel your head let me feel your arm doctors do that too a lot of doctors do that they're wonderful people no I love doctors but there's only one thing two things I've found fault with I can find fault with doctors one you could have a busted leg your, your leg could be hanging out and the guy will still want to feel it. You know, let me feel it. Does that hurt? Hey! Yeah, does that hurt? Does that hurt? And they always keep the stethoscope in the freezer. I've that thing up with my hands. Whenever I go to see my doctor, I grab a stethoscope. I pull it right out of the refrigerator, and I start warming it up with my hands. And they put that cold thing on you, and they say, take a deep breath. Oh! You can't help but take a deep breath. The problem is trying to breathe out now. So I'm sitting on the emergency ward with my, with my sore throat, and the doctor comes out and he says, uh, what's the matter? Said, my son has a sore throat. I said, okay, take a look at it. Oh. Say, ah. Oh. Oh, so, well, this is it. He's really got it. He's got tonsillitis in his economy. Oh, well, what do you want to do? "Well." We uh, we usually uh, do a tonsillectomy on uh, Wednesday, which is the day after tomorrow. You can leave him here tonight. What are you guys going to leave with? <laughs> you're not leaving me nowhere. Can my mother sleep with me? No, no, your mother's not going to sleep with me. Well, somebody's got to sleep with me. I'm not sleeping nowhere by myself. Well, you just going to we're going to operate on your Wednesday. Operate who? I don't let them operate on me. Please, don't let them do nothing bad. What are they going to cut? Well, it's, uh, don't worry about it. It's just, just going to cut two things in your throat. Two things in my throat? <laughs> and then I won't be able to talk or what? Yes, you'll be able to talk. Listen, son, let me explain to you. Your tonsils, your tonsils, which we're going to have to take out, guard your throat, you see. They stand there. They're two guards. They have hand grenades, bazookas, and everything. And anything bad that comes into your mouth, they fight it off. <laughs> See, Well, uh, in your case, your tonsils have lost the war. <laughs> uh, as a matter
0: of- and um, <clears throat> a lot more in that bit and the whole album. Um, he was very funny. Cosby was a very funny guy. He was a terrific actor, a great storyteller when he was up on stage. Very touching, too. He always talked about kids and mothers and husbands and wives. And I'm thinking... I can listen to something like this, which I haven't listened to in decades. And I'm thinking, could I ever watch I Spy again and not think about what he did and believe? I'm just assuming he's guilty. I suppose I shouldn't. That's wrong. But I am. I am assuming he's guilty. I don't really know if I could watch I Spy again and enjoy it uh, with this trial going on and knowing what I uh, knew about this guy. And if I wanted to listen to more of his standard routines and stories, I don't know if I could enjoy them the same way. Um... Uh, when I, you know, it was, I don't know if I could, I, could, I could handle that. So that's a real question, right? When there's somebody who's a comedian or an actor, when they're portraying a lovable or heroic character, character or if they're a great actor on the stage or in the movies, um, a performer, when this person is publicly revealed as a wife beater, a child abuser, or anything like that, can you still watch them? Uh, tell jokes or act and completely enjoy it. I I don't know, I don't know. I mean, is that have you had experience with that? I mean, there's you know there's a famous book which I uh, never read and a movie which I never saw. But there's a book and a movie called uh, "Mommy Dearest" about Joan Crawford, and uh, people tell me it's a uh, it's a pretty good book, although sort of a heart rending thing, and it's about Joan Crawford, uh, the person. Um as an abusive mother. So, I don't know. I mean, uh, having read that, if you did read it, could, could you ever see Joan Crawford in a movie and not think about that? Especially if she was in a movie where she was somebody's mother. Now, I remember seeing Joan Crawford when she was very, very young. Maybe her first big movie in <clears throat> Grand Hotel, which is a great old movie from the 30s. Uh, she was terrific. She was a very good actress, Joan Crawford. Uh, maybe you could enjoy whatever she did because it was so long ago and she's been dead for a long time. You know, maybe that's part of it. Uh, The problem is obviously worse with somebody like Cosby and other people if the person is contemporary like Cosby. And it doesn't have to be a crime against somebody else that we're talking about here. What about watching a movie starring Robin Williams or Philip Seymour Hoffman? Um, I mean, terrific actors who committed suicide. You know all about their lives. You know about their wives and kids. You know, I mean, you know, with the constant news and videos and graphics. And you know every detail of how they died, although you don't want to, or not every detail, but a lot of them. And uh, you could enjoy the parts they play. They were great actors. But you could never get what they did to themselves and their families completely out of your mind. I I don't know. I mean, imagine it. I mean, maybe you've already done this. Maybe you've already done it. It would be interesting. You want to write to me and tell me about this. It would be uh, interesting for me to hear. Uh, I I wanted to watch, um, I was thinking uh, about a month or two ago, (coughs) needing laughs like I do, of watching The Birdcage. Did you ever see the movie The Birdcage? The Birdcage (coughs) is one of the funniest movies ever made. It is really one of the most hilarious, hysterical movies ever made. But I I couldn't bring myself to watch it because uh, of what Robin Williams did to himself and to the people around him but basically to himself. For me it's just too much it's much too soon after what he did. And again it's just all this question of <clears throat> if something happened a long time ago, uh, you know how it is. Um the past erases a lot of things. You know, the time time going past, the longer the time passed, the more it erases things. Um <clears throat> one of the basic requirements I think of watching people perform a role like in watching a play is willing participation in the illusion, you know, the artificial world they create, the willing suspension of disbelief. You cease to regard them as a real person, and, and a lot of this, again, depends on how good an actor they are, right? And you take them as the character they play, a boxer maybe or a housewife, a heroic soldier, a queen, a thief, a desperate salesman, you know, could be a spacecraft pilot or a Southern Bell, whatever. Um, but <clears throat> if you knew after a great scandal in the actor's real life that they were a criminal or just plain nasty and vicious to everyone they knew, uh, including their families, would it? I mean, should it make any difference? Should it make any difference? Should doesn't make any difference. <laughs> should is a silly word. Uh, I think it would. I think it would. Um, I've seen Philip Seymour Hoffman in some roles that moved me to tears. Um, there was just something about the man and his brilliance as an actor. I mean, he made me laugh when he was funny. He made me cry when he was sad. And it would be layer on layer that would be uncomfortable and sort of interrupting to whatever I saw. Um, it would be hard. I'm going to get a little water from my, uh, my sore throat, which refuses to go away. I- You want some? <clears throat> okay, here. No, I can't pour it on the microphone. Deduct it from my pay. Or maybe they wouldn't give me the PRN limousine to come down here. I don't want that to happen. Um, well, you know, um, with the advent of widespread, news, widespread newspapers and magazines, uh, just imagine, do you ever look at the National Enquirer and the Weekly World News or whatever the new generation of that is on the newsstands? Uh, and these people just made things up. And, but, but when, when you know, back in the, in the, <clears throat> in the early um, 1900s, when newspapers, uh, you know, even a little bit before that, when newspapers started to be read by everybody and the funny papers came in and so the lower classes were able to read the newspapers, even though they couldn't read that well, be the lower classes. And uh, <clears throat> people get more and more magazines and book readership was up. Then uh, radio and TV news, which spread all this stuff to everybody all the time. And the wider it got, the wider it got, the thinner it got. <laughs> That's another whole story. Uh, the more diluted the quality of everything was. But so what? It's a business too, right? And so now, and now there's a 24-7 internet and social media, graphic pictures, videos, recordings. People are completely aware of the personal lives and off-camera behaviors of famous public people. Not just actors, but, you know, politicians, CEOs, sports figures, writers, singers. I mean, we know all, much more about Trump than we would ever want to know, you know? I mean, I don't even want to see this guy. I don't want to know anything about him, but you can't avoid it. Yeah, yeah. well, you know, you could press the button, you could flip the switch, and we all do. But uh, <clears throat> you just open any kind of channel of communication, and uh, there it is, you know? Anyhow, so now you know, now you know what they were. Even these things go back into the past. Now people are doing all, you know, people do all these biographies, which they did, but they're digging even more and more and more sordid things come out. And uh, so you know that they were or are, if they're contemporaries, you know that they're bigots, misogynists, crooks, liars, God knows what else. Uh, Though maybe there's been a change. I think maybe there's been a change, and this is about Trump again. Now we're so used to everybody's shit being splattered all over the place, that it doesn't even make a difference. I mean, bad or good, um, you know, nuances of behavior, whatever, who cares anymore? I mean, who cares? How else could a vulgar, lying, thieving uh, monstrosity like Trump be in the White House? I mean, people obviously don't care what, uh, what people do anymore. And when you get these hearings, you see a guy like Comey, who's a shrewd guy, but also a kind of a, of a, a Boy Scout, there are a few honorable people left in the world in government, <laughs> not too many, a few. I would say that 5% of the Senate is probably o- honorable and not just uh, sleazy opportunists. Um, but th- this, this knowing the nasty details of people's personal lives doesn't seem to make as much difference with writers and artists, right? I mean, that's always been the case. These people are not... Supposed to be, although they are much more now, they're not supposed to be or weren't supposed to be public figures, most of them, especially writers. And when I say artists, I mean people like painters, people who, you know, weren't, whose, uh, <clears throat> whose goal in life was not to have everything they said and did and show everybody things immediately and with the widest possible audience almost as soon as they did it. But people, you know, writers and artists, people who usually don't appear in public. Uh, and with all the biographies now about people, we do know everything. But does that change? And this is the same kind of question. You know everything about what people used to do. and uh, But does that change the fact, if you knew that some painter was uh, a terrible person, terrible person. Uh, you know, we all assume a lot of the times, because this is true a lot, that painters being very um, special people and writers too, often have very uh, strange habits and uh, self-destructive or destructive habits. And we uh, we consider that that's part of whatever the creative process is for a lot of them. Um, but uh, if, if there was a new biography that you read of your favorite writer or painter, <clears throat> and you discover all this awful stuff about them, um, what if he did know all this stuff about them? You know, just pick somebody. Just pick some. I mean, Picasso was famously awful to people around him, to his wives, and especially to his children. He was, uh, he was a real awful son of a bitch. And um, but one of the greatest painters that ever lived. And if a writer, living or dead, was an alcoholic or a drug addict or had unusual or even maybe what some people would consider repulsive sexual proclivities, should that matter? when you read their work or look at their paintings? I don't know. I don't know. Um, Well, and also when it comes to political figures and moral leaders, I mean, you know, uh, we hold them, uh, although we shouldn't, to a much higher standard of public and private behavior. I mean, people, uh, you know, uh, maybe... You take somebody like Martin Luther King, and I've mentioned this before. I keep mentioning it because it's one of the great examples I can think of in American history, anyhow, or American culture. Martin Luther King had many, many, many sexual affairs when he was married. Um, And here he is, the the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King. Does that in any way diminish the, uh, the beauty and the passion and the inspiration of the man and the importance of what he did for people? Uh, Martin Luther King was perhaps, or maybe he was, the greatest American that ever lived. Um, He inspired tens of millions of people. Uh, He changed history. And so he was in a lot of motel rooms, wherever he was traveling around, with women he didn't know, having sex. And um, does that make any difference? Uh, And here again, it has to do with time passing. This happened... um, more than um, <clears throat> more than fifty years ago, this kind of stuff. So it's old stuff, right? What if this was happening now, and for some reason, maybe because the media culture is different, or because people are consuming all this stuff, everybody's uh, having to know everything about everybody? Um, what if you knew right now if there was Martin Luther King existed right now, and things were the way they were, and he was as brilliant and inspiring as he as he ever was, and courageous? But all of a sudden splashed across all these newspapers and, uh, and testimony and women coming forward, blah, 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 because they got paid by Fox News or whoever. Said, yeah, I had sex with him last Tuesday. Oh, a couple of months ago, I had sex with him, right? Um, would that make a difference to how you felt about him or that you could follow him or not? I don't know. Um, but once again, maybe the advent of President Trump, how I hate to say it represents a rebellion against this kind of extreme black and white thinking. You know, somebody's good or bad. Uh, Now, it's gone completely in the other direction. Now, maybe we will never hold anyone in office to account for anything. And maybe that's why a lot of other politicians don't do anything to get rid of him. As long as he continues to be such a five-star loser and fuck up, how bad could they be, right? There's reasons why these people don't get rid of him in his own party and maybe in the other party, too. I think the real problem occurs when you regard somebody as a hero, a hero, a perfect being who's larger than life. Then their crimes, even their minor flaws, become not just jarring distractions, but they become great blows to your sense of self. If you're a hero worshiper or if you have a hero, your sense of meaning and belief in the world or a certain movement or not. Uh, there's an, I can give you an example from my own life. Uh, when I was in my 30s, being an eternal seeker and uh, unfortunately never a finder, but was I, when I was in my 30s, I discovered Alan Watts. And I think a lot of you know who Alan Watts is. Maybe some of his stuff is played on this uh, station. I'm really not. I'm not sure. <clears throat> and Alan Watts was probably the greatest Western practitioner, writer, and teacher of Buddhism. And... Um, he, uh, and there are many recordings of Alan Watts uh, talking about Buddhism and Be Here Now and talking about Taoism. And uh, he has, and there, there, I guess there are hundreds of hours of tapes which people play and repay, replay, and you can find them on um, on YouTube. Alan Watts has this wonderful jolly, he's laughing a lot, um, he's having a good time, he's easy, he's confident, and um, he, he's wonderful to listen to. And uh, a brilliant like funny inspiring man and every word of his when I was in my 30s I tried my best to put things he talked about into some practice in my own life you know with hit and miss success Um, then when I was in my 40s I read a biography of Alan Watts and found out that he was a neglectful husband and father and probably drunk every minute of his life lived on a houseboat somewhere out in California um you know, if it, he was in the 60s, he, he was—he uh, came from England originally. He was a very uh, uptight kind of guy, and then finally he finds Buddhism, and then he gets into the 60s culture. And he just went off and, um, you know, who's to judge anybody? He went off and just lived the life he wanted to live and basically left his family behind. But he spent a whole lot of time drinking too. But um, being the kind of person I am, I had a lot of trouble for a long time listening to him talk and taking him seriously. Um, And uh, maybe that's because I was never that grown up. And what I mean by that is like, you know, if you don't grow up, if you're still like a little kid, or especially like even like an infant, you look up to your, uh, you're always looking for a father or a mother figure that's going to fix everything, right? And maybe that's the way I looked at Alan Watts. Little kids and infants, they idolize their parents. They see them as, as perfect figures, perfect figures who can do no wrong. After all, I mean, when you're a little infant and even a little kid, your whole life literally depends on your parents, right? It depends on them. And even when kids get older, they need to see their parents as people without real flaws. I mean, there are stories about, uh, maybe you've read them or heard them, there are stories about uh, the children of mafia dons uh, who refused to believe that their fathers were um, monsters, you know? Killers, people without any moral sense whatsoever because they were nice to them. Dad was nice to me at home, you know? Um leave the gun, take the cannoli. I got to get home. It's my daughter's birthday, right? That kind of shit. But it's a strange thing. And later on, even like when some people are uh, initially in therapy, they want someone in a therapist who is not fallible, someone who can be their perfect, uh, you know, mommy or daddy, what they didn't have when they needed it when they were little. Transference. This is how it's supposed to start out in therapy. Hopefully you're supposed to grow up when you're in therapy, but that doesn't always happen. Um, and when people when people are in therapy at first And sometimes even later on They don't want to hear one word Of what their therapist wants or needs Just like it's very difficult for you And if, if somebody's being a good parent uh, When you'll say two, one, two, three years, four years old You don't want to hear your parents' troubles You don't want to hear it Because they you want them to take care of you And you don't want them to have any troubles of their own Because then they won't be able to take care of you That's the selfishness of every child and it's natural. I mean, Freud compared God and Mary and the Catholic Church and religion in general, in um, you know, in uh, in his books, and especially um, um, uh, his last book, you know, uh, Civilization and His Discontents. He compared uh, religion, God, Mary, and any other you know father and mother figures to authoritarian or loving parents the way children see them, you know, that that everybody who was uh, uh, idolizing all these people who were worshiping were like children. And he believed, Freud, uh, that this kind of behavior kept humanity forever childish.
2: Hello, doctor.
3: Hello, hello, uh, Mr. Wiseman.
2: Uh, I'll just lie down. All right. Uh, I don't know. I don't have anything much on my mind today. I had the same dream again.
3: The tunnel dream?
2: No, the dream where I'm the television repairman.
3: Oh, yes. Mm -hmm.
2: Doctor, I wanted uh, to mention that I won't be in on Friday because of uh, Christmas Eve. I'll be spending it, you know, with my wife and Kate and I have to devote that day. And you just miss your session? I'm afraid I'm going to have to on Friday.
3: I wish you would have let me know sooner. I could have filled your hour. I'm sorry. this is rather close notice.
2: Well, that's Monday. I'm sorry. I, I didn't realize. I thought well, I would Christmas be Christmas Monday
3: is rather close notice.
2: I am sorry, Doctor.
3: You think you can't take that one hour for your session? I think they're rather important, don't you?
2: Well, they are. They're very important to me. Heaven knows. I,
3: I just... Uh, Perhaps at least as important as your wife and children, seeing that these sessions,
2: I think, have helped you a great deal in relating to them. Well, yes, I, I wouldn't argue Perhaps with that, you doctor. you don't feel that. No, I do, I do. No, look, please, don't take that attitude. I, I just... Uh, I'm taking
3: no attitude. I'd like to examine this reluctance of yours to come in on Friday.
2: But it's not a question of reluctance. Do you feel
3: like uh, I'm taking the time from your uh, no,
2: no, I children? assure you, doctor, why? absolutely not. I just promised the kids you know, that I would I'd spend like that to, day with I'd
3: one. like to know why you can't take one hour and um, come in for your session.
2: Doctor, look, please, doctor, will you... Will you believe
3: no, I'm, I'm just interested in why uh, when we had a session planned... On Friday, that you cannot take the time to come in and keep your appointment,
2: doctor. Please
3: don't I, be, be upset. I'm not upset. I, I really am not upset. I'm just I'm curious.
2: Uh, if it means for your so say, much to you, I will come. In. It
3: means uh, to me. It means only that you are my patient that will facilitate a cure. But what it means to you is the uh, thing that
2: interests me, doctor. I just wanted to spend it with the kids. I promised the kids. And you feel that an hour away from the kids for your analyst will be too much time? I'll be back on Monday. You know that.
3: I, I, I'm, I'm sure that you will. I would like to discuss the Friday hour if we may. You care to try to associate to it?
2: Doctor, please, I feel terrible about this. Why
3: should you feel terrible? Please. Why should you feel terrible? Uh, you have uh, made well, a decision. I, I would like to examine the decision. I feel Certainly it. you should feel not, uh, not feel terrible about a decision. I feel I've hurt you. You have not hurt me. I am, I am uh, only interested in your motivation. I, I am not hurt because I am going to analyze it.
2: Well, it's very simple. I'd rather be with my wife and children than with you on Friday.
3: Oh, I see. Well then, I—I I guess there's not much more to say. is there. Do you want to finish telling me about the television repairman dream?
2: Well, I—I I, I don't think we should go on today. I think you're too upset. <laughs> uh, doctor, doctor, please. <laughs> Doctor, doctor, I didn't mean it that way.
4: <laughs>
2: doctor, listen to me.
4: Doctor, I knew it. I knew it. I knew you would not come in Friday.
2: Doctor, the hour is up. I
4: don't care. I 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 don't care. Doctor Weiss, I have to
2: go, I don't but i, I...
4: go! they want you to go! <laughs> Just go! Don't keep telling me you're gonna go! Just
2: Merry
0: Christmas. <laughs> Nichols and Mays has a, a nasty edge to it. But, uh, I mean, there's, there's the thing, right? When you go to somebody uh, and you put yourself in their hands and, and you want to repair something that happened to you when you were a child and it still endures, you don't want them to tell you about how miserable or needy they are. You want them to be the good parents and the solid people that you didn't have before. Um, it's not just you know not just people in therapy. I mean, the great vast public, everywhere is <clears throat> all over the world in this country, all over the world, beset by you know terrible villains and great dire forces of chaos and malevolence everywhere you look. I mean, everywhere you live, everywhere you look, comes over the screen, comes uh, everywhere. It leaks in. Um, uh, the people have always and forever needed somebody kind of like supernatural, someone we can completely rely on to save us from all our troubles and all our all our own sins. And we have to think of them as perfect beings. I mean, uh, this is the great uh, the great disaster of uh, of humanity that we always seem to you know when things are very very hard, we look for people like this. Well, you get Trump, you get Hitler, you get. Uh, you know, uh, authoritar- authoritarian, religious, and political leaders. And sometimes they're good people, thank God. They're Gandhi or they're Martin Luther King. Um, but the same principle applies. You don't you don't want to know from your superhero, from your hero, from your idol that they are uh, in any way uh, have any flaws or faults. <clears throat> if you ever saw the movie Superman, the first Superman movie, when Lois Lane falls off a skyscraper, Superman... First appears in Metropolis. He catches her and he sort of hovers there, 30 stories above the ground, right? Remember this? And he smiles at her in his completely assuring, sort of superhero, masculine way and he says, Don't worry, miss, I've got you. And she looks down and she looks at him and says, You've got me. Who's got you? And that's what a super, that's the point. That's what a superhero is—a godlike figure who doesn't need help. He is the help. You don't have to look any further. He's the great daddy, or maybe the great you know mommy has arrived to save everything. Um, when I was a kid, um, um, well, basically back in the fifties, when I was a kid, and I mentioned this a couple of times, and you know, sort of jumping here a little bit, but um, not too much. When I was a kid. I was a Yankees fan, which I have mentioned a few times. This is in the 50s. Mickey Mantle was the guy. He was the best player in baseball. He was a hero to a lot of us. And he was our local hero because we lived in New York City. And um, we wanted to be him. We wanted to see him and to be him. We wanted to be near him. We idolized this guy. We didn't have any idea, and and we wouldn't have believed it if we heard it. None. That Mantle was in almost constant pain when he was playing And that he was uh, an alcoholic. We had no idea about this. It was not a time when everybody had to tell you everything and not a time when we wanted to know. Especially kids don't want to know these things about their heroes. This idea of hero worship, it's no mistake that these words idolize and worship or godlike are the same as in many religions. You know, like sports, uh, we use them in um, military exploits. <clears throat> uh, it's the same as in religion Especially the two big religions That are originated in the Middle East The absolute perfection The infallibility of God Yahweh, Allah Yeah, Christian rock. Um, I will refrain from common, commenting on Christian rock. It's, uh, um, I'm sure the people who do it and the people who listen to it love it, but to me it's some of the silliest music ever made to combine you know, sort of um, <clears throat> airbrush rock and roll and um, God and Jesus. And I was always more interested in, uh, in reading about Greek mythology and later in, in, in Hindu mythology. Their gods were more human. They weren't so remote and mysterious. They had very human flaws. And, of course, there's Buddha, uh, despite the level to which uh, he's raised to god status in some places in the East. He was never anything but a human being. And that made his story and his wisdom more interesting to be than any of the others. And, of course, Jesus is very interesting because, uh, according to the story or reality, if you believe it, was half God and half human. Jesus needed help. He needed his father and he needed his mother. He suffered doubt. He suffered pain, he bled, he died. This did not play well (laughs) at all in his time and place. I mean, what kind of hero is that? What kind of God is that? God doesn't worry about things. God doesn't let bad guys get away with arresting him and laughing at him. God doesn't hang around on earth talking to people, preaching to them, and feeling their pain. He has better things to do, like throwing lightning bolts at disbelieving humans and fighting with Satan. That's what God's for, and saving humanity. When I I was a boy, like a lot of other boys, uh, I read stories and I saw movies about heroes. Adventure heroes, war heroes, men who were brave and courageous. They never seemed to feel fear or pain, and they always wound up triumphing over unbelievable adversity. Always. And then, of course, there was the comics where heroes uh, dressed in these incredible costumes, uh, they had greater than human powers. And, of course, this has culminated in the greatest superhero of them all, Superman himself.
5: Faster than a speeding bullet. More powerful than a locomotive. Able to leap tall buildings at a single bound. Look, up in the sky, it's a bird. It's a plane. It's Superman. Yes, it's Superman. Strange visitor from another planet who came to Earth with powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men. Superman, who can change the course of mighty rivers, bend steel in his bare hands, and who, disguised as Clark Kent, mild-mannered reporter for a great metropolitan newspaper, fights a never-ending battle for truth. Justice and the American Way. And now, another exciting episode in the adventures of Superman.
0: Yeah, Superman. Uh, Superman. Couldn't get enough of that. And also millions of other kids. Uh, and in Superman comics, we all know about Superman, there was a column each week, in a column uh, each week in the monthly uh, issue. Uh, where some smart-ass boys, uh, if the editors weren't making up these uh, letters, they could write in. You could write in and see if you could catch the uh, writers or editors in any mistakes or flaws in the story or character of Superman. Uh, You know, ask questions maybe that the writers couldn't answer. Um, How come Superman uses the same kind of punch to knock out a robber as he does to knock down a two-story brick wall? Huh? And they always had an answer. The, the writers always had an answer. They hardly ever got stumped. Or this is another one. How does Superman get his hair cut if no scissors on Earth could ever cut his hair? Hmm. And, uh, you know, the comic book writers, they borrow from everything. I mean, all of these themes. and uh, They borrow from the Bible. A lot of them being uh, ex-religious Catholics and Jews. Uh, think of the Bible story of Samson and Delilah. I mean, he confides in her that his great strength comes back from his long hair. She cuts it. They lock him up, put out his eyes. And, of course, since he's a hero backed by God, he grows his hair back and kills all the bad guys by the end of the story. What an incredible comic that would have been. Maybe there was a Samson character. Um, There could have been other inconsistencies and questions to, to point out about Superman, but we wouldn't think to ask him because we were little kids. And even when we weren't such little kids, after a while, we still were little kids. And most American teenagers and young men are like adolescent boys. Look who's president, right? Um, how about this for a question, you know, if you're older? Dear editor, if Superman had sex with anybody, wouldn't it be dangerous for them? I mean, he's the man of steel. <laughs> how would that work? How would that work if he was the man of steel? Yeah. The point, of course, the point, of course, about Superman was he wasn't a regular get-up-in-the-morning- Brush your teeth, shave, comb your hair, eat breakfast, wait online for your coffee and donut, human being. That was not him. He didn't have a mother or a father, not on Earth anyway, or no longer. Who put all kinds of tyrannical demands on him? Right? Didn't have anybody like that. He didn't have a wife who could get upset if he forgot their wedding anniversary, and he didn't have kids who put him into debt till he was in his fifties. My father once told me that. Uh, Every American uh, man who has kids is usually in debt until his 50s. Who knows, maybe more. Superman did not have to earn a living. He didn't have to do homework. He didn't have to mow the lawn. And he didn't have to pay his bills. Superman didn't have to work hard to be a mensch. Because he was the uber mensch. He was above all this mundane shit. The stuff the rest of us had to deal with all the time. Uh, My son, when he was about three or four... Had a Superman outfit that he wore. It was very cute. It was very cute. Um, and he had the shirt with the S, you know, the blue tights and a cape, and uh, <clears throat> and I don't know what else. Uh, he had he had all this stuff. I don't know what happened to the boots. Superman had red boots, big red boots. I don't know what happened to the boots in his costume. But my son wound up wearing these floppy rubber rain boots, which made him even more cute. Uh, and he would run around and he would make noises and da da like this. He was Superman. And I used to walk with him on the street. And I remember walking uh, with him in front of the museum of natural history in Upper Manhattan. And he, like, he'd run ahead of me in his Superman outfit, exercising, you know, his superpowers. And then sometimes when he'd get about thirty or forty feet away, he'd get nervous and he'd look back to make sure I was still there, right? To make sure I was still there. Um, it was something a poignant thing that I remember, and, and like an illustration of the way things are. You can dress up in all the uh, costumes and put all the masks on you want and uh, <clears throat> you could try to act like a superhero but uh, it just takes you further and further away from what you might be inside right uh, best to be somewhere in the middle path speaking of buddha um, back in the day of course superheroes they were all men and most comics were read by boys wonder woman was the only one i remember with a woman's superhero This movie, by the way, Wonder Woman, is a very big success in lots of ways. It made a tremendous amount of money, set a record at the box office, weekend box office last weekend, for ticket sales. Uh, This is for a movie starring a woman superhero and directed by a woman, right? Uh, There was an op-ed piece in the Times about how empowering this movie is for women and girls. And here's an interesting statistic. Ticket sales to this movie, half women and half men, right? Not just all women. Uh, That's no surprise. A lot of the men, no doubt, turned out to to see, not a heroic figure, just to see a beautiful, sexy woman. So it had everything for everybody. Uh, There's a lot more to say about comics, but uh, not now. And if you want to read all about, if you want to read one book about the history of American comics, uh, the social um, or, you know, the artistic, financial, the moral, political, and, and Social History of American Comics, read a new book called The Ten-Cent Plague, The Great Comic Book Scare. The Ten-Cent Plague, The Great Comic Book Scare, by a writer uh, named David Hajdu, H-A-J-D-U. This is an incredible book. I'm in the middle of it now, but it's wonderful. Um, when my daughter was little, when my daughter was little, and this is in the 80s and 90s, there were more women superheroes then. Uh, they, there's more and more and more. Uh, there was a <clears throat> toy action figures. One was called He-Man, <laughs> and the other one was called She-Ra. I remember She-Ra, and uh, you know they had swords and superhero costumes, and they defeated all their enemies. And the big one on TV was Xena Warrior Princess. Zena Warrior Princess. Uh, this is all generational stuff. She saw that when she was little. This is in I think in the late '80s or something like that, and. You know, Marvel Comics has since come up with a lot more, but I haven't kept up with superheroes for a long time. It's hard enough just trying to be a human being in the world. I think the degree to which we need heroes as adults is the degree to which we haven't really left our childhood behind. And I know about this from my own personal experience. And maybe this strikes a familiar note with you. I mean, the world becomes uh, a more terrible place all the time. It just becomes more terrible all the time. I mean, you can, you know you feel it and you see it, and daily life is filled with constant new complexities and difficulties. Things change every minute, and so there's a great need to find simple answers to things, and to find leaders who provide simple answers. Which is why the whole world is um, starting to turn fascist. <coughs> this is just like what's going on. What's going on in the world now is very much like what's happening in the 30s. Everybody's suffering, 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 and looking for simple answers from um, from men who would supply them and it didn't matter. Law didn't matter. Respect didn't matter. Humanity didn't matter. We just save us, save us, save us, right? And a lot of people are still looking for a hero, a perfect leader who's going to save us, somebody who's appointed by God. I think the process, as much as I know about this, <laughs> as much as, a little as I know about it, the process of maturity individually and maybe for the world in general, maybe the country, is the learning to first see the imperfections in your idols right then you accept those imperfections within reason it's just part of human nature the world or your mother or your father they're not perfect and if you can do that maybe you can actually set about becoming aware of your own complexities and then even if you work very hard at it actually accept yourself with all your with all your flaws and all your problems I mean this is a great ideal you no, don't live up to it but um, sometimes maybe we do um, anyhow, when, when I look around me now, right, so this is a, <coughs> a little personal history and, and sort of essay here. When I look around me now in my own life, I'm surrounded by people who are, I would call, they're not heroes, but people whose daily lives are an inspiration to me, um, oh. my friends, my wife, even to some extent my grown children. Uh, they don't have any super powers and they don't hide behind disguises. Uh, They are who they are because they have shed their childhood dreams and needs. And they are where they are in life because of an awareness and acceptance and hard work. Because those three things. This is the thing to work for and this is the thing a lot of people I know have achieved and it's always hard every day. The best thing in the end, I think, is if we could all become our own heroes. Then finally cut ourselves some slack, and just be regular human beings. Cooter, Ry Cooter. Um yeah, heroes, God, Superman, <laughs> Jesus, half human, half God, um, this is uh, the story of humanity, you know, if we all ever do grow up to the extent which we grow up, we would never have anybody like uh, Mr. Trump even near the White House, they wouldn't even, they would arrest him if a man like that even came near the White House, but it's a constant struggle, it's always a constant struggle, right? To, uh, to be a grown-up or to try to be one. Um, all right, that's it for this week. As always, I thank you very much for listening, and uh, please get in touch with me if you have any responses. I'd love to hear from you. Uh, it Just go to the Fader Files, F-E-D-E-R-F-I-L-E-S.com. And um, I think right now I'll just change out of my uh, mild mannered disguise as a, um, as a radio um, personality on PRN, Put on my costume and uh, up and away.